and girls going down to children's church, you can slip out. Everybody else, if you take your Bible, please. I want to talk with you a few minutes uh, from Revelation this morning. Revelation chapter 1, if you would, please. You know, on the last Tuesday of January, a lot of us watched as our president gave the State of the Union address. And for many of us, we have watched... um, a lot of those speeches over the years, and regardless of your political persuasion, uh, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever it may be, you have to agree that those State of the Union addresses are strange affairs, are they not? Uh, the speech is interrupted every couple of seconds by half the crowd applauding and the other half scowling. Uh, the media, they're busy taking notes, they're counting every time there's an applause, uh, timing the speech, I think writing down how many words are in the speech formulating their comments, and now we live in a world where social media uh, is the buzz and people are tweeting or Facebooking what they like and what they dislike and what they think and what was said and what wasn't said, and everybody who's listening to the speech is waiting to hear their main political concern addressed and what's going to be said about it and are they going to agree with it or, or not agree with it. And we're, we're left at the end of that State of the Union address really honestly thinking this question, how is our country really doing? How are we really doing? We look around and we think about uh, things and we listen to this. And the other night after watching that, I shut off the TV and I got to thinking about not our country, believe it or not. I got to thinking about our church. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning before we have our baptism about the state of the church. Uh, I'm not talking about the church as a whole. I'm not talking about the church universal. I'm not talking about... Uh, the church as uh, the body of Christ necessarily as a whole and all over the place. We're talking about this local body of believers, Red Hill Baptist Church. And I want to talk to you about the state of the church. And this is not going to be a well-polished speech that only uh, centers upon certain areas. No, this is really going to be a heart-to-heart talk from uh, the pastor, uh, not a politician. We're not even going to use sermon slides today. I want you to think with me. And, and to begin, I want us to read a lot of Scripture And I'll adjust my comments accordingly because we're going to let the Bible talk a lot today as we read it. I'm not filling time. I have good reason for reading what I'm about to read to you. Uh, So if you open your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, I want to begin reading at verse 1. And I want to read through about these seven churches uh, that are addressed in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, as you think about the state of the church, the state of Red Hill Baptist Church. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So these were seven literal churches uh, in that part of the world. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, 
for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. Amen. 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 He's alive forever. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery, now watch this, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches or messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So the stars representing the messengers, uh, we think the pastors of these churches, and the lampstands are the churches. And then we go into chapter 2 and 3, and he actually gives a message for each of these churches. Local bodies of believers. Now notice what it says in verse 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you persevered and have patience and have labored in my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Then he turns his attention to the church at Smyrna, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things say the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and that you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Then he turns his attention to the church at Pergamos, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. 
Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Then he turns to the church at Thyatira. Remember, these are local churches. Verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then he turns to Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write these things that see who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come up unto you as a thief. And you'll not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in life, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we've got a couple of churches left. Philadelphia. Now this is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, mind you, but the church of Philadelphia in that area at that time, to the verse 7 of chapter 3, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he has the key of David. He who opens and no man shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, 
And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then finally, he writes to the church at Laodicea. Again, these are local bodies of believers, just like we are. Verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning and of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You've heard these verses many times for gospel imitations, but they're actually written to a church. He says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne or uh, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, beloved, as I've already mentioned, you have these seven churches, these lampstands, if you will. You have these seven messengers um, that is, you can uh, interpret those as angels or as pastors. I think he's talking to the pastors there. And I'm not going to unpack all of this today, obviously. We don't have time. We only have a few moments here. If you'd like to do an in-depth study, we've preached on this before. You can go back and get that. And we dug into every church individually. We spent time, I think we spent at least seven Sundays on these. But I want to give you a couple of observations. And then I want to draw an application for our church today. I want to observe with you as we just read through all of that scripture that, first of all, Jesus is Lord of the church. Jesus is Lord of the church. The church collective is his, the body of Christ, all believers everywhere. And each local body is his. The pastors are his. It says he holds us in his hands in chapters 1, verse 16 and chapter 2, verse 2. He's Lord of the church. He has the right. He has the authority to speak to the church. And when Jesus Christ speaks to the church, we had better listen because Jesus is Lord of the church. But he's not only Lord of the church. Did you notice that Jesus loves the church? He loves the church. We see that in his words to these seven churches, there are words of affirmation, commendation, and there are also words of warning. He really cares about the local church. He cares about us. Uh, look at Revelation 1.5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How much did he love us? He died for us. He was buried for us. He arose again for us. And beloved, it's because of his love that he takes such an active interest and, 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 and talks about the welfare of the church. He cares about each local church. He wrote these letters to these churches and he cares about our church. He's the Lord of the church. He loves the church. And then you notice likewise that Jesus leads the church. Jesus leads the church. I mean, he's the one who tells us what to do. And to be honest with you, he mentions no words here, does he? He warns, he corrects, he encourages, he makes promises, he directs, he talks to them very bluntly. And as God, he leads perfectly. 
There's no hesitation. There's no second guessing. There's no indecision. His word is right. His word is perfect. And his word is final. So we've already observed some glorious truth. Just reading those first three chapters alone was worth coming today. But then we look at Jesus and we observe these truths. That he's Lord of the church and he loves the church and he leads the church. But did you notice likewise that Jesus assesses the church? He weighs them out. He makes an assessment. He evaluates the church. He tells them how they're really doing. Chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, that is the pastors, and notice it says he walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and lampstands. In other words, he's in the midst. He knows exactly what's going on. And did you notice as he read that he told every church that he knows their works? Chapter 2, verse 2, 9, 13, 19. Chapter 3, verses 1, 8, and 15. He told every church, I know your works. And by the way, he knows our works. There's nothing hidden from his perfect and piercing gaze and perfect knowledge. He knows not only what they have done, he knows what they're doing, he even knows what they're going to face in the future. Did you notice that? Look back at chapter 2, verse 10. He says to the church there in chapter 2, verse 10, Do not fear any of those things which are about, you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you'll have tribulation, he knows specifically, for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. Jesus knows, now here's the thing about it, Jesus knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows exactly how we're doing. But did you notice, as we read, beloved, that there were those who didn't look really good on the surface, but they were actually commended by Jesus, while others who looked really good, they were chastened and warned by Jesus. Um, for instance, look at chapter 2, verse 9. He says to the church there, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. But then he says, but you are rich. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says there at the end of that verse, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive. Things look really good. You look like you're alive, but you're dead. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, we have need of nothing. Their own self-assessment was, man, we are rich, we're wealthy, we have need of nothing, we're doing great. And Jesus says in verse 17 of chapter 3, And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So in other words, we can think we're doing really good as a church. But we could actually be doing really poorly. And the flip side is also true. We could think we're doing really bad. And yet we're actually doing better than we realize. So what I'm saying to you is this, beloved. It's really hard to know how we're really doing. Isn't that an encouragement? Aren't you glad you came today? It's really hard to know how we're really doing. We dare not judge by the, by the big B's. You know, a lot of churches judge by the big B's. The big B's are buildings, bodies, and budgets. So they've got big buildings and a lot of bodies and big budgets, and they think we're doing great. But we dare not judge by that. Those things are good. Those things are necessary. But we can be very misguided in our appraisal. And then we turn to our doctrinal purity and we say, you know, we believe the word of God and we do. And we, we, we're, we're warned against false teachers and we don't let just anything be taught. We teach the Bible. And so we're doing really well. But then we read in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, 
that they were doing really well in that. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who are apostles and are not, found them liars. You've persevered. You've labored. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I mean, yeah, you're doctrinally pure and you're right. You're teaching and preaching, all those things. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. That's pretty serious, don't you think? You've left your first love. Do you realize we can be doing the work of the church and not even love the Lord of the church like we ought to? So where does that leave us today? How are we doing as a church? Now, I've prayed about this and I pray even now. The Lord knows my heart and and he holds me in his hand, the scripture says, and and he gave me a brain, he gave me a tongue, and, and I pray that he'll control it today. But to be honest with you, I don't think we're doing all that well in certain areas. Uh, We're still doing church, and and I don't know that the Lord is entirely pleased. And those are difficult words to say. You say, well, why? Well, I'm afraid that we've gotten to where Ephesus got. The church at Ephesus in chapter 2 and verse 4, here's what Jesus said to them. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. You've left your first love. You know, one of the advantages of being around a place for a long time uh, is you can look back and you compare the past with present. And I've been here a little over 10 years and we've experienced a lot of together. We've experienced a lot of things that are wonderful. Some of it's been horrible. And some of it, we still don't know what to think about it. We, we don't even know how to assess it, how to think about it. I've seen a lot of good spiritual growth. I mean, I've seen that. Um, I think I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in your life. I've seen it in our church. Uh, There's a love for the Word of God here and and understanding the Word of God. There's a love of the truth. There's a love for each other. I was telling um, uh, Matt and Bridget this morning as we were talking about joining, about I I can't think of any better places where you're going to experience the love of people than here. There's a desire to do what's right even when it's difficult. There's a desire to stand for truth. But I've also seen some things that disturbed me greatly. And, you know, there's a day where, where I knew when I came to church that people were going to be here. They're going to be faithful in their attendance, and faithful in Sunday school, and faithful in worship. And they're going to be here. And if they were sick, they weren't going to be here. And we didn't want them here. But, uh, you know, otherwise they were going to be here unless they had to work or, or some other reason. But that's not the case anymore. And we're getting to a point where there's, there's an unfaithfulness. And you say, well, preacher, you know, we're, we're busy and our family's busy. I know, but what are you busy about? We just studied about the Lord Jesus' life. And Jesus said, what was his life all about? To be about my father's business. And, and, and that's one of the most basic things when people stop attending church. It's a sign that things are not right. How serious is the local church? And again, we don't have time to talk in depth here, but how serious is the local church? We just read three chapters of Scripture where the Lord Jesus Christ took it very seriously. Don't you agree? Very seriously. And beloved, I agree with the old evangelist Vance Havner. He's dead in heaven now, but one time he said this. He says, the church has no greater, excuse me, the church has no greater need today than to fall in love with Jesus all over again. You see, because we can get caught up in what we're doing, and they're good things, but we forget why we're doing them. We forget who we're doing them for. We forget our first love. So what do we do if we find that our fervor, our passion, our love for Jesus is beginning to grow cold and, and wane a little bit? Well, he tells us what to do. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. 
He says, Remember therefore from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now he gives them three R's. He gives them a prescription. They've got heart disease. They're not loving the Lord Jesus with their heart, but what they once did. And so he gives them a prescription. He gives them the three R's. Now it's not writing, reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's not the three R's here. But he gives them three R's. Did you notice it? Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. First of all, remember. Remember the way it used to be. Remember the way you used to love the Lord Jesus. Remember when you got saved? How many of us will say, you know, when I got saved, I was excited about Jesus and I loved the Lord. I couldn't wait to get to church. Couldn't wait to learn. Couldn't wait to share the gospel. Couldn't wait to sing. Couldn't wait to give. Couldn't wait to volunteer. And yet what happens to a lot of us is what? Kind of gets old after a while. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember the love, the excitement, the enthusiasm you had for the Lord Jesus Christ that you had to remember. And then he says, repent. Repent means to turn back, to go in a change of mind, at least to a change of direction, to go back away from that sin and to return to a loving fellowship with the Savior and repeat. Repeat. In other words, do the first works again, it says. What are the first works? It's the basic stuff. We make things so complicated. What's the basic stuff? Church attendance. Coming to Sunday school. Coming to church. Reading your Bible. Praying. Sharing the gospel. Returning to those first works. Repeating those things that you did in the early days. And as you do that, your faith begins to grow and you begin to realize just how glorious the Lord Jesus is. And if you're like a lot of us, you'll begin to say, how in the world could I let my love for the Lord Jesus slip and wane and kind of diminish? But here's the scary thing. Did you notice that it said that if they did not do this, there would be what you might call a fourth R? And that was removal. He says if they did not repent, he could come and remove their lampstand. Now the lampstand is what? It's the church, right? And when he says remove the lampstand, he's not talking about losing your salvation. That's impossible. If you truly have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. And you have it now. So what does he mean when he says uh, remove the lampstand? Well, there's going to be a loss, of course, of light in the community. There's going to be a loss of the witness and the testimony and the impact for Christ. But there also can be a loss of that church. Now, Jesus promised the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. But how many local churches do you know of today that are barely hanging on or even closed? We can go in our own county and we can visit buildings today that barely have anybody there and maybe even some that have no one there. I want you to hear this and I want you to hear it carefully. There's no guarantee that there will always be a Red Hill Baptist Church. There's no guarantee. The generations before us were faithful. A lot of you have been here your whole life. I've only been here a decade or so. But a lot of you have been here your whole life. And men and women were faithful, were they not? To carry on God's work here. To make sure that God was honored. To make sure that you were trained and equipped and taught and loved and won to Christ. And baptized and joined this church. And so now we look back at the... And listen. 
more and more, more and more it's important in our world that we be faithful, especially in the world in which we're living. We need to fall in love with the Lord Jesus all over again because it's our turn. We've got to be faithful. We've got to love Jesus and love others and make sure that we're sharing the gospel, not just to sustain this local church, but to lift up Jesus in this place and make him known. Now listen, these have been solemn words. They've been sad words. They've been sobering words. They've been serious words. But I believe they're needful words. So here's what I want to do tonight, today. Very simple. I just want us to have a few minutes of prayer before we sing and have baptism. And I want you to pray right where you are. If you're a part of our church family, we're so glad about it. If you're a guest today, I want you to pray. Maybe you're a part of another church. You pray for your church. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow right where you are and I want you to pray. And I want you to pray, first of all, for yourself. That's not selfish. That's biblical. Pray for yourself because you know what? This local church is made up of what? Individual believers. And we've got to consider our own spirituality. And where are we? And say, Lord Jesus, do I love you like I once loved you? And if not, tell him you're sorry and ask him to help you to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And then I want you to pray, listen, I want you to pray for others as God leads you. It might be your family members, others in your pew, people in your Sunday school class. But as God leads you, after you pray for yourself, I want you to pray for others. And then thirdly, I want you to pray for our church as a body of believers. Ask the Lord to help us to fall in love with Jesus all over again. To have a burning passion for Jesus. To love Him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. Have you noticed the whole theme of today has been love? And I love that even the puppets talked about the love of God. We've sung about love of Jesus. We've preached about it. We've heard scripture about it. Even the puppet minister talked about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest need I think we have in this church is to fall in love with the Lord Jesus all over again. I'm going to be praying you're going to be praying right where you are, please. Would you bow, pray for yourself, pray for others, and pray for the church. And then we're going to sing about the love of Christ, and we're going to baptize. We'll give you a season to pray, and then I'll close this and we'll sing.